I am going to make it my goal in life now to get you to leak something about the beta <laughs> so that you get your ass kicked out of there. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, August 16th, and we have got a fantastic show lined up for you this week. It's going to be the pre-Gamescom uh, show, but we still have a lot of stuff that we're looking forward to and a lot of new stuff that was released as well, some information. So, of course, I've got with me, same as usual, Joel and Vince. How are you boys doing? Fantastic, as always. I'm doing great. You're still on holidays. No, I'm back. I thought you said you were on holidays till the end of the day, basically. No, I said I needed yesterday to finish adjusting myself. My schedule was out of whack. It wasn't. You just haven't been doing it. <laughs> you haven't been doing anything. How can your schedule be out of whack? Well, Sitting on your ass. Late, you have to not... get up at six in the morning. Things don't work out very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you've been spending your whole day playing a beta doing what again? Playing a beta. Okay. Which which beta was that? <laughs> Star Wars. I, okay. I can say that. Okay, so you're allowed to say that. Okay, well, we don't want to take any chances that you're actually going to say anything that would cause the NDA to be broken. Because that would be a most horrific thing if your NDA, if they, they found out that the NDA was like broken on a live broadcast because you said some inside kind of scoop on, on the beta. That would be bad, wouldn't it? That that would be terrible. Thankfully, I'm very confident in my ability to shut the hell up. You are okay. Well, I'm good. I'm I'm glad. I'm I'm, I'm very glad because the that, that, Roger is a vindictive bastard. That would be that would be horrible, and I would not wish that on anybody. If I had gotten into the Star Wars Yo Republic, I may have thought ahead and not kind of bragged as much about it and kind of just shut the hell up and played it and had fun secretly. But but some people just prefer to rub everybody else's nose in it. But that's cool. That's cool. Um, it's a moment of passion. I, I can't be held responsible for my actions. So in your moments of passion, you only care about yourself. It's somehow, I'm not well, surprised. Sometimes I care about her, too. I highly doubt it. <laughs> right, we are going to be hearing more about the Old Republic shortly as well at Gamescom. Gamescom is coming out this week, and that's in uh, Cologne, Germany. And there's going to be a ton of stuff there. The one from last year, they had some fantastic news, and they showed some footage from uh, the Old Republic as well. And at this one, Bioware has said that they are going to be showing a lot of the end game, And... You got to wonder how far in advance they are planning what they are going to be showing at various conventions or if they're basically listening to the crowds and listening to what people are saying and what they're interested in. Because lately, all we've been hearing is people who want to know more about the Old Republic's endgame and who are worried that there may not be enough to it. And so here they're going to be doing a lot of talking about that. 
Well, from what we've seen uh, at their demonstrations at like E3 and, uh, and, and Comic-Con. what you've seen in, in, in game, you mean? Or no, no. I, oh, I, I, okay, yeah, of course. what they have publicly revealed right, to, to okay. the public. They, most of the game is pretty much complete. So they do have the ability to show off whatever they want. So uh, yeah, yeah, a lot absolutely. of it's like polishing touches, right? Yeah. And so 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 they say. So uh, it's, it's very easy for them to really feed the community what they want. So like community wanted to know a lot more about PVP. So that was really their focus at Comic-Con was they, they had the, their uh, war zone set up. So the Comic-Con questions, a lot of it was about the end game. So it's a pretty easy shift for them into that because from what they've said, the actual work on the game is fairly complete. Well, have you actually had a chance to do any PVP yet? In what? In, in the Old Republic. I have played the Old Republic. Okay. <laughs> Blink twice if you have. <laughs> because, yeah, so they're going to be talking a lot about the PvP. They're really selling PvP as part of the end game. And, I mean, I know that we see that in other games as well, but I I personally, I see PvP as something that you, you put in an RPG or an MMO, and that is part of the MMO throughout all of the leveling. That's not really an end game content. So and you like Dion then? What's that? So you like Dion then, huh? Yeah, well, we're not, we've already discussed that to death. <laughs> Frankly, there's no point ever going back to that. I'm not saying they did it right either or not did it right. But my point is, is that I would like to see more like what they were talking about before, like the, the planet that's strictly for once you reach level 50 and things like that. Like what level did you get up to, Vince? And what? In, in the Old Republic. I have played the Old Republic. Okay. All right. So basically, <laughs> the, I like the, what they were talking about with the plan. <laughs> I like what they were talking about with the planet that is strictly going to be for level 50s and things like that. I like the content, whether it is um, the, the heroic content that they're talking about and even the raid stuff, whether or not I actually take the time for it is another matter altogether. But from what we've seen, the raid content really does look like it's going to be worth taking the time to actually to, to level up and do it. Did you actually see the uh, bit they showed off at their live demonstration today? No, I didn't. You could tell that, you know, they were not used to working together. They, they yep. just had like eight of their, the, you know, their community people up there and like, OK, these people are playing and he, he's trying to commentate what's going on and, you know, trying to give them clues as to what to do. It was pretty funny watching them. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, here's where he can call in an orbital, orbital bombardment for the AOE. And he, <laughs> say that again. Say, that, say that. it again. I dare you. <laughs> here's where he calls in his orbital bombardment and you can use an AOE effect. And then he call, he so he's like, oh. I should do that. And then he summons it in a big empty area and doesn't hit a freaking thing. <laughs> and then they're fighting the boss and then, like people start dying like, oh, OK, so, uh, yeah, we can see this boss is pretty tough. So we're just going to cut it off there. <laughs> but it, it did seem pretty engaging with, you know, even though there it, there wasn't, you know, a whole lot of complication to it. You know, it was just, you know, eight or so droids and two big cannons that they had to take down. You really did see a lot of the teamwork aspects. And then the giant freaking robot that fell out of the sky was pretty impressive. So what little they showed off at the panel uh, was interesting. And it'd be interesting to see uh, what else they show as the show goes on just from their live demos. 
See, one of the things that I'm noticing so far, and I don't know whether or not that's an aspect of the game yet or whether it's just something that they haven't um, shown in any of their videos, is when you're looking at the group combat that they're doing, you're not seeing any of the companions in there with them. You're only seeing players. And I don't know if they're doing it that way because of uh, because they, they don't want too many things going on on the screens that will confuse people, or if it's just that in groups you can't bring out your companions. I thought that the whole thing was the companions would fill group slots if you didn't have a full group like if you're in a five-man group companions could theoretically fill out the fifth slot if you were one short but if you had a full party they wouldn't come along but for some of what we've seen they haven't had a full party either though that, well we don't know because we're not seeing a party ui in those right so it could be something that they do have a full group and somebody's just going ahead um i mean we've seen stuff where there's been a party quest and the you know two people are going through but you don't know if there's anybody else there so if it's a full group the game might not let them bring in but you could also be right it could just be that they're not showing that off quite yet um although we did get that video uh during e3 that did show off companion play pretty extensively um so when we know solo yeah. yeah yeah when you're going solo but nothing it hasn't shown anything for groups yet that at least that i've seen vince have you seen anything uh aside from that e3 video not really okay all right have you had a chance to group with anyone yet? In what? In tour? <laughs> I am playing the Old Republic. Not yet. Okay. So that's good. But it's not surprising because <laughs> you don't have a lot of friends. You don't make friends easily. This is a prime example of that. So in terms of what else is coming out at Gamescom that they're going to be having uh, booths for and, and demos and whatnot, what are some of the titles that you guys are looking forward to? Dota uh, was, That's actually on my list as well. Yeah. I just signed up for the beta um, for Dota 2. I can't wait. I friggin' love Dota. Um, I've been playing League of Legends pretty extensively uh, because it is essentially a Dota clone, um, just really well done and really well balanced. Um, the only part, the only problem I have is that Ice Frog has been doing it for uh, for Valve, and he's the one that was kind of yeah company hopping from League of Legends to Han, from Han to to and Valve, bringing and, his his. Bringing his bridges stuff with him, yeah. Well, and that, that's an interesting point too. Is um, Valve is a very collective company. I've recently learned, like they let all of their major titles, like everybody has input in it, even if they're not on the project, like they can make suggestions or whatever. And at least with Dota two, it's the only closed closet game they have. Nobody knows anything about it aside from one screenshot that's been released. Hmm. So I'm really want to see what the hell this is, what this hell is all about, because. It's I know nothing. Nobody knows anything about it except for it exists. Ice Frog's doing it and we know what one map looks like. And see, that's part of the problem, too, is that for all we know, they may just come out with a trailer here that is all CGI with a little bit of in-game footage. And that's it. I'll flip a table. I'll flip a damn table. I, I, we definitely <laughs> need to see a lot more because, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not well, impressed with who's doing it right now either. When is that tournament? At Game's gone. So we'll definitely see a great deal of the game mm -hmm. this week, one would assume. Yep, because they're actually going to be doing the game. They already have the bracket up as well. Um, they have the four brackets for the uh, the teams um, for the competition. So we are going to see a ton of gameplay. Oh, that was for that. Okay, sorry. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. No, it's it'll be interesting. That's one of the ones that I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I've, of course, I'm, I really hope that there's going to be a lot of Guild Wars 2 there. 
I there's a ton of stuff that I would like to see more of. The, it sounds like the demos are going to be very PvP centric, which again, I actually the PvP in Guild Wars was never really something that interested me that much. I mean, I PvP wasn't that supposed to be like the focal point of the game, at least when it first at came one out. Point, yeah. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, they 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 released with a very big uh, chunk of lore in there and questing and whatnot as well. But they made a big deal of PvP from the get go. They certainly did. But I just never really liked it. I never liked the PvP in in Guild Wars. And again, it's not that I don't like pvp because i pvp all the time in wow and in other games as well i just they are don't like they it are there. downplaying it for the second one at least a little bit they're not pushing it as uh super hard as they did for the first game it's not like pvp is everything they're actually pushing a lot more end game for guild wars 2 which i think is is something that we might see more of at gamescon because even though they've talked about it we haven't gotten much aside from uh maybe a few clips of a couple zones and maybe a boss here or there yeah and of course i'm i'm really hoping that we're going to hear a lot more about borderlands as well i'm playing the gunzerker <laughs> trailer yes gunzerker is going to be a playable totally class that is just going to be awesome i'm thinking there's going to be a lot of people who want to play this class they don't even need to unveil the other three. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm totally going to just sit there and, like, quote lines from Clerks 1 and sing the song, you know, Berserker, because it's friggin' it's a gunzerker. How awesome is that? <laughs> and it looks from this little itty-bitty trailer that, again, what they did right in the original with the style and the 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 music and everything you really feel it in this as well and again it's it's a very short little teaser trailer but again the music works the stylized whipping around with the guns and everything i can i can already see it that this is going to be as much fun as the original oh yes 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 dear lord yes i just hope it has a better ending Please well, give me a better ending. Not I just ending, but the, the boss fight. Yeah. Chicken, give me an give me an ending with actual stuff, <laughs> please. Everything else looks awesome for this game so far. Just just give me an ending, please. I don't care if it's like claptrap singing and dancing. That's a perfect ending as far as I'm concerned. Just give me something. Okay, what else are you guys looking forward to at the convention? Reckoning. Yeah, I, I was just gonna because, play the trailer as well. I'll play it while yeah. you're talking. Uh, that's you know the game that won me over at E3. And really, Gamescom and PAX are the last we're going to see of this game before it comes out because they announced this morning that, well, this morning in America, at least it was sometime during the middle of the day over there, that the game will be out in North America on February 7th and then the week after that in Europe. So this game is right around the corner. So birthday gift. I really, I really want to see as much as I can and the little bit of time they have left to show it because every single thing they've shown for the game is absolutely fascinating. It's a beautiful world. And by beautiful, I mean visually stunning, not sunshine, roses and ponies. Um, But it's it's stylish, too. Yeah, it's and it's not like cartoon stylish or it's not uber realistic stylish. It is what I would like to call perfect fantasy stylish. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And it is it's shaping up to be a really just captivating world. And that's what I'm really liking about it. I cannot wait for it. Um, It is the R.A. Salvatore written game uh, where he has created 
10,000 years of history for this world. And we are playing about 2,000 years into the game. Um, so, yeah, into the world in the game here. I can't wait. And it comes out for right around my birthday. Hey, you so, and me yeah. both. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're all you, right there. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you for the birthday gift because that that's what I'm counting as my birthday gift from game developers. Thank you. Uh, but I can't <laughs> Game developers give you birthday on. gifts? <laughs> as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, I have, uh, I'm going to just pretend they do because it makes me feel better. Uh, but I can't wait. I mean, the class structure, the way that you're able to create design the character, the way that you can multi-class the character, the way that you can interact with the world, um, everything. We lost him. From oh. how combat's driven to how the story <laughs> oh, is damn. driven in the game is phenomenal. He's back. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I'm actually really looking forward to with this as well, and it's a point that I'd made before, and it's basically that... And, and it's putting a lot of faith in 38 Studios, um, which is not necessarily undeserved, but being that it's a brand new studio, they still have to prove themselves. But what, what I really look forward to is being on the ground floor of this new world. It'd be the equivalent of starting to play Warcraft and being a part of that just emerging world and then making its way into the MMO having had that history and so this is the same thing where in this world even though it's going to be later on in terms of the, the history when the MMO occurs um, you're still going to be a part of that world on the ground floor and get to know it and, and things like that all of that lore so that when when the MMO eventually does come out if they still do it then you're going to remember that you'll have been a part of it. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's, it's kind of this, this the same anticipation I have for the Old Republic because, you know, we played the KOTOR games. So we have that lore foundation. And even though that MMO does take place a period of time after the games, you, know, you can really just, you know, draw the, the comparisons between the two. And it's going to be that same feeling. Are you actually feeling that it was it makes a big difference having played the original? In what? In Tor. I'm playing Tor. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so talking then about one of the games again that is going to be at Gamescom, let's talk about Guild Wars 2 for a little bit because ArenaNet has been fantastic in terms of releasing information on their blog in regards to Guild Wars 2. And they've been releasing a ton of lore information about various races, various things in the game. And I love that they have been really pacing it out very well so that you've always got something to read, something to get caught up on so that when eventually the game does come out you're really going to feel like you have actually um a, a fairly sound knowledge of that world and last week was their silvari week where they talked about that race and joe i'm going to let you take over well we love our lore here and we've been loving every single thing that they've been really seeing for guild wars 2 specifically about the races and they've done all sorts of uh, spotlights on it so far this week was the Silvari. Uh, there, it's called the Dream and the Nightmare, um, or Dream and Nightmare, whatever. For, forget the these. Uh, it's really interesting because you're starting to get an idea of how the race was sort of born into this world. Now, first of all, the race quite literally has its roots 2,500 <laughs> years ago. Its roots. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Um, but even despite that, the race is actually only 25 years old. Uh, the way that it works is about 2,500 years ago, 
uh, or 200, I'm sorry, 250, 250 years ago. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Um, a human soldier found a strange seed during his journeys and tucked it away um, and was going to bring it back for his daughter to plant because apparently that's what you do back then is bring you know, stuff home for your kids to do um, to find his village had been completely destroyed. Um, so what does he do? He plants a seed on the grave of his family. Um, all of a sudden, a tree pops up. Uh, so 25 years ago, the tree gave birth to the first Silvari, the firstborn. Um, there were four of them. They are the ones that are essentially the guardians of the tree. Um, all Silvari are born from the tree. Cool little things here. Um, the tree is a living entity all and of itself. Um, the running idea is that it originally contained the memories and ideas of the people whose grave it was planted on. Because when the first Silvari were born, they were born with whatever knowledge of the world surrounded the area um, from 250 years ago. Um, they are born as mature individuals, not children. Um, but they have that sort of curious, inquisitive, and eager to explore mentality very much like children. Uh, the second generation was born with all of the skills and memories that the first generation gathered. That means that as the first generation learned how to read and write, the second generation was born able to read and write. Any combat skills, any arcane skills, anything that the first generation was able to find then goes back into that. And this continues on throughout all of the generations. Every generation is born with the knowledge of the previous generations. So they're essentially born with knowledge already of the world around them and anything that the race as a whole knows because it all goes back to the tree. Um, it's a communal knowledge that they call the dream state. It's essentially while they're being born, while they're gestating in the tree, they dream about the world. That's how they know about it. It's kind of cool. Um, it's sort of like the whole dream within a dream thing, I guess you would say. Um, it's also kind of cool how they view individuals that are born. There's four cycles that they believe that deal with the individual personalities. Uh, there is a dawn cycle, a noon cycle, a dusk cycle, and a night cycle. And each one speaks to a different character strength. My assumption is that this is going to wind up being one of those defining characteristics of the game that you pick Silvari and you pick your cycle and it gives you like a certain boost or whatever like they were talking about doing before. Um, and then they were talking about uh, not only are there like the dream states and how everybody's part of the, the uh, sort of community around the tree and all linked through the tree. There's also a nightmare court. You can be friendly and cushy and exploring and, and have your scholastic needs, but you need to be able to defend yourself and be able to go to war. And that's where the nightmare court comes in. The nightmare court essentially breaks uh, Silvari free of the sort of shackles of compassion, essentially, that being a normal Silvari member uh, and member of the scholastic and, and sort of uh, hierarchy of the pale tree uh, is. And you start taking over your more carnal nature, your more militaristic, your more violent nature in order to defend the race or go to war as necessary. Um, so I have a feeling that it, that's going to play into sort of as well, whether or not you're like uh, an arcane mage versus a bloodthirsty warrior for the Silvari. Uh, the piece was actually really well done. Um, it's got all sorts of snippets of conversations woven into it. It really is fantastic. If you have any interest in playing this game, hell, if you haven't had interest in playing this game beforehand, I really suggest you go over to the arena.net slash blog slash dream and nightmare and take a read. It's well worth the time. Uh, you'll get to learn about one of the races that we thought was just going to be like a random elven race, but is so much deeper than that. And it actually has me interested in potentially playing a Silvari instead of just a Njorn. And see, that's the thing with me when 
when the game first came out and they were, especially when you saw the screenshots and, and everything else, um, I was far more interested in some of the other races over this one. But then I read the books. I read Ghost of Ascalon and I read uh, Edge of Destiny. And again, if if anybody is interested in Guild Wars, even just a little, I highly, highly recommend reading these books. They are both absolutely fantastic in their own right and edge of destiny is amazing in terms of a fantasy book that's just not only exciting and thrilling at points but also he knows how to weave in quirky humor and it was just a blast to read and it was that that actually made me seriously consider playing a Silvari because i like it because it is um it's different than the norm because normally you have again the the any creature that is attuned to nature are the elves of some sort. The elves have been around forever and ever and ever. They are an ancient race. They are all known, blah blah blah, and all this stuff. And here you have something that's much more unique. And it it no, they're not elves, but they are they're again Elven in quality. Elven ish, whatever you want to say, Elvish. And it's young. It's it's interesting because though they are adults for all intents and purposes, they're very, very inquisitive and it makes for very unique. I'm assuming it's going to make for more unique questing, hopefully, if if the questing is different based on your race in that game. You know, you're going to get a lot of options that you wouldn't with the others. And I like that. I, I loved the Silvari, uh, Silvari character in Edge Destiny. She was fantastic. And again, it's that that really makes me want to play the game. Because again, there, there's so many cool little aspects to it with the, the dream state and everything like that. Plus, there's the, the 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 duality of being good versus evil, but it's again that they're so very young and they're still learning. So a lot of the things haven't been assimilated into that dream state yet because it's not all the memories. It kind of just random chooses some of them, and so there's the different things that haven't. So they're it's always exploring and and they're not afraid to die. It's just go out and experience things and and do as much as you can. And I love that. And I think it's going to open up a lot of doors in terms of your questing again if it's if it's if the questing is written up in such a way that it is race specific to a certain degree at least i can oh. answer that okay go ahead uh, i actually got to play a good chunk of guild wars 2 at pax east and they did have some of the races were playable and you got to play the starting areas and go into communal questing areas based on what you picked um the questing is reactive to your races because as you talk to ra- other racial npcs they react to you um, not only through your choices, because yes, that does matter, um, but also your race. Like there are some that will look derisively, you know, down their nose at you because you're a Norn, you are a barbarian. Um, there are others that will, you know, uh, you praise that sort of strength of, of ancestral fortitude uh, and, you know, will treat you with a certain modicum of respect. And it does affect some of your choices because you do... Um, well, you, or you will have some different quests available from the NPC. Like there was one NPC where I got two completely different quests, uh, based on my race. So it is a factor and being able to play as different races and, 
uh, kind of get that different experience adds to the replayability and the ability oh, to God, make faults. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have one. Here. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have one then because again, it's, it's a, it's just such a cool little race. It is. And, you know, and it also is something that I did get to talk with um, many of the developers after their their panel at PAX East. They hung around and they were really cool and talked to us. And uh, one of the things that they said was that they're really trying to integrate the stories of the races in such a way that it flows throughout the entire game, that the races all have a unique feel to them, something different from what the player expects that type of race to have. Like, you know, you would expect that the new arm would be all about uh, barbarian warrior combat. But they're really not. Um, you would expect that the Silvari would be these ancient elven race that has been around forever. But as we've found out now, that's not the case. They're trying to reinvent all the races and classes in such a way that's compelling for the entire world. And I think that's one of the key things that's starting to really translate, especially in these blog posts. You're starting to see that as they release the, the different lore for the individual races. You can see how they do that. And my understanding is the books as well. They're really doing a great job at that. See, I really like the Savari because unlike you, Roger, I haven't read the books. I didn't play that much of the original game. So I really don't have that much of a connection to the larger lore of the game. So that's why the Silvari are very interesting to me because the Silvari don't have that much a connection to the larger lore of the game. With them only really being involved with the world for 25 years, you know, they're not involved in, you know, the century spanning disputes and, you know, all the stuff that's gone on in this game world over the years. They're just as new to it as I am in a way. So that's what I'm really looking forward to is seeing their point of view on this new world kind of being the same as my point of view on it. Yeah, no, and I can appreciate that. What I'm really looking forward to as well is going to be how the, um, again, how the individual races are are dealing with each other because part of what made the novel's so much fun to read as well was seeing how the different classes not classes sorry the different races were dealing with each other when you're looking at a race like the asura which are the little smart dudes they got attitude <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's your fit vince you want to be one of those suckers because they got I can totally attitude yes and <laughs> when you see that character with a silvari it's very it's a fun blend because you have someone that that doesn't pick up on the sarcasm or doesn't care for it and just doesn't just smiles through it all kind of thing. And the crabby little bastard beside them. So again, there's a lot of things that I, I'm, I'm certain you've seen a lot of it, Joe, but there's still a lot left to be oh, seen yeah. in terms of just how much, uh, just how many things are there, just how much depth there is in terms of when you're doing stuff together. I mean, again, with the Old Republic, we've been hearing about when you are going to be questing with someone, then there's going to be some differences based on the races in the party and things like that as well. Again, is that something that you've come up against, Vis? In what? Okay. So we're going to play it that way. Okay. But I'm wondering just how much of that kind of thing they're going to be able to put into Guild Wars 2. I mean, a certain amount, certainly, but I don't know just how much they'll be able to do. Well, I don't know. They've, they've been really working hard at it. And like you said, only time will tell. But I'm confident that we'll actually get a good deal of it. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at basically any kind of interaction. I'll be happy. 
if they can make it where in your class does make a difference so that if to equate it to wow if you're a human that goes and quests in the night elf zone you know i would like to see a lot more where they treat you differently kind of thing because of that i'd like to see that in in guild wars too Okay, so moving away from there, let's talk a little bit now about Bioshock Infinite because there was a video that came out with Ken Levine who was talking to the PlayStation Blog Network about the um, what's going on with Infinite and whatnot. And it was very interesting because there was a little bit of, again, a few tidbits of information we didn't know yet. And again, Ken's, Ken doesn't tend to hold too much back when he's got opinions no, either. He's, he just <laughs> lets them fly. It's case in point when they're saying, like, are you planning on doing 3d because they like to push 3d and it's like you know what if a game doesn't doesn't need 3d i'm not gonna put it in so that made me so fucking happy i'm yeah. sorry I, I love how he kind of took the shot at bioshock 2 he's saying like yeah we could have added bi multiplayer into bioshock but it wouldn't have added anything into the game so why bother so what did you think of all this vince um it was pretty interesting, like especially when he's talking about, you know, the designs of the uh, the enemy characters comparing, you know, how the big daddy related to the world of the first game and how I forget the dude's name. But uh, the big bird thing really relates to the second him. game. Like, yeah, him. OK, <laughs> like that. That was really cool for me. Um, it, the stuff that he was talking about, about how, you know, they try to write the, the game in the way where. They're not really doing the, the the story towards the playable character, but more towards the player themselves. And I thought that was kind of interesting way to say it, because I, I, I do have to agree with him when he was saying, like, you know, in the first game, when your character is betrayed, you felt betrayed, even though it wasn't happening to you personally. And with just the complete different level they're taking this game to compared to Bioshock, it, that could be pretty amazing. Like it to be that invested in a game just because they wrote it that way. Well, they have to do that because of Elizabeth. It, it You have to yourself care about that character and want to save that character because that's what it's all about. That's your story. So, hitch, yeah. yeah, you have to. And I love that he gets that. I mean, not not all developers are going to get that. They'll be thinking about gameplay. They'll be thinking about ways of suckering the audience into feeling something per se. But he's not. He's actually looking at it on a far deeper scope in terms of you, the player. I have to make you feel about her the way that we need you to feel about her right away, too. And he's looking at, you know the complexities of relationships and how how long it takes to 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 build that and things like that they really really they they spent a lot of time looking at what's important and that's the relationship that they, they are they we already know they can do the gameplay they we know they can do the graphics so here it is where they concentrate their 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 attention on where it matters and it's that relationship and we've been hearing about that for a while too every interview we seem to to spring up uh, involving Bioshock Infinite, it's always been an emphasis on making players care about the character and making sure that they develop the relationship correctly. Um, and it looks like they're investing the proper amount of time uh, into the sort of psychological pathing of the player, so to speak. Um, and it, he's absolutely right. The emotional investment you had in your character at the end of Bioshock 1, where you betrayed, where you felt betrayed, even though it wasn't you, it was the character on the screen, it was leaps and bounds away uh, ahead of anything that happened in Bioshock 2. Let's just face that. Bioshock 2 could have been better. Um, 
But this, it looks like it really is shaping up to be that emotional experience where you're not even going to realize how drawn into this character you are. And then there may be twists and turns that just make you go, damn. And I'm looking forward to that. See, I'm thinking what's going to happen is that there's going to be obviously a shocker with Elizabeth. And that's going to be that that damn moment where you just stop and your jaw kind of draws because you you invested so much in that character. It can't end happily. (laughs) (laughs) Something bad's got to happen to that chick. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's pretty much. Damn you, Levine. Yeah. (laughs) Why can't we have nice things? Now, he also talked about not just the 3D, but he also talked about the move. And he's becoming more and more a proponent of the move. And I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't some sort of move functionality in Infinite when it comes out. Probably. I mean, everything seems to be going that way. But the move is a lot better or more acceptable as far as I'm concerned when gaming is concerned as opposed to 3D. Um, so I'm kind of okay with that. Well, Man. the 3D, if they put it in again and it's not just gimmicky, but it actually fits, then it's not bad. We actually were shopping. We, we didn't shop for, but we were, <laughs> we happened to be out shopping on the weekend and we were looking at some of the 3D TVs that they have. Not that we need one, but it was freaking nice. <laughs> they looked good and the prices dropped down a lot on them. So I'm not suggesting that it would be something that I would pick up unless we were looking to buy a TV. But at this point here now, if we were looking to buy a new TV, I definitely would actually look at the 3D TVs. You're not losing anything and you can still watch 2D TV or play 2D games. So it doesn't really matter. I think it's one of those things where we're really not going to see what 3D gaming can offer for a couple more years yet. It's like how it was in the movies. The few movies who were created for 3D, stuff like Avatar, even the latest Transformers movie, which from its inception was done as a 3D movie. Those are very impressive in 3D, whereas stuff like... um, Clash of the Titans and other movies that, you know, did the post-production 3D just so they could charge a couple extra bucks for our ticket. Those really haven't been worth playing. So from what we're seeing here, gaming, we haven't seen a game that's been designed from the ground up for 3D because it's still, you know, with development cycles, that's still a ways off. So in a year or two, I think 3D would be more of an option for gaming than it is now. I, I just want to I just want my Johnny mnemonic moment where I'm like surfing through like the Internet and trying to like solve puzzles that way in 3D. Then I could deal with it. Or if I have to hack the Gibson, I'll be OK. I want to see it. I'm going to do it. I don't want to buy a new TV, but dude, I want to try gaming. I'll bring my freaking PS3 <laughs> and I'll buy a game in 3D and I'll hook <laughs> it up in, in the, the future. Shop. I'll be like, don't mind me, boys. I'm just hooking this up. I got to know. <laughs> well. I was I was reading something today actually about how Arkham City is going to have a 3D gameplay mode that doesn't require a 3D TV. It uses you know the old school technology with the glasses. Uh, that could be different. Yeah, see, that sucks though. Although again, the the the, the glasses setup for the new ones is actually, and it, I found it made a big difference on what type of TV it was as well. But on some of them, dude, 
it was in i was reaching for the fishies because it was an aquarium <laughs> and i was like come here carp and um it was it was absolutely phenomenal but anyways we're, we're spending too much time on that the other thing of course too is that ken absolutely loves the vita so i'm thinking that we are definitely going to be seeing stuff from them on the vita which that alone makes me much more confident about the vita much more I would agree too, especially when you get the the eye of a developer that we all like. Yeah, that's that's a good mark in yeah. my book. Holy God, yeah, not okay. just like but trust. True. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's just that it's going to be nice because we're not going to be looking at just stupid gimmicky games, but rather he said too, it's giving you all the tools and then choose what you want. We know that he's not going to use all the tools that are available on a system. Case in point, he's not putting 3D in his games, so he's he, he's not using it all. So he picks and chooses what works. And that's exactly what I'd said about the Vita before. I love that it gives you all the tools. And then from there, the developers will choose what they want to use. And that's exactly what he's saying. So that gives me a lot of confidence in it. Okay, let's move away from there now and touch about touch on another game that's bound to be absolutely huge. And that is Rage. I guess that's my cue. Hey, <laughs> like I have to say, you take it away. We kind of established this was yours. Yeah, but I wasn't paying attention. No. Hey, Vince, <laughs> you've been reading up on this. How about you tell us your thoughts? <laughs> now, Rage is a game that has been on my radar for a while, but not until very recently did it really jump into that must-buy category. And what initially made it a worthwhile purchase, even without knowing anything, was two little words, id software. Uh, id software has been you know the driving force in first person shooter gaming for ever because <laughs> there was no first person shooters before id i mean i grew up playing wolfenstein 3d doom uh, you know the other games that were built upon that like hexen uh, shadowcaster all that oh old school God, stuff <laughs> so up into quake and you know all the stuff since then but what rage is rage is the first internally developed new id or new ip coming out of id in 15 years this is the first new game they've designed since the original quake because yeah a lot of stuff has used its technology and they've made a bunch of sequels but this is the first new thing we're seeing out of them in ages there are some people that are going to be playing this game who didn't even know about all those other games and when it comes to id games the first thing that you always have to talk about is the technology behind it because this is using you know their new id tech 5 engine which when you hear john carmack talk about it man this guy loves his freaking technical geekery my god <laughs> well he said too carmack has said that he thinks this is going to be the best looking game period for a long time well, when you look at it, you're inclined yeah. to agree because those graphics, I remember, I, I think it was last year's E3 when I first you know, saw the game in motion and they said that was on the Xbox, not the PS3, not the PC, but the graphics looked that good across all versions. And even more impressively, it consistently runs at 60 frames per second across yeah. all platforms. That's, That's insane. Huge. For, the, for this level of detail, I mean, yeah, sure, it's not Crisis 2. It doesn't have, you know, j really crisp, you know, superbly detailed, you know, texture files and all. But if you look at this and you say 
anything looks bad, I, I'll walk over and dick punch you because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the way they've developed. What was that all time low we were talking about? <laughs> New record. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, the, the game just looks phenomenal and running at that consistently high frame rate. You know, you're going to get that trademark id crisp gameplay. Well, so like Bethesda is attached to it, too, right? Yep. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the ones, yep. you know, handling the publishing end of things, which is cool because prior to that, it was EA and EA's yeah. evil. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into that later. But Rage is pretty cool from its concept point of view. It takes place on Earth after it's struck by an asteroid called Apophis, which if you Google it, there actually is an asteroid <laughs> named Apophis heading straight for Earth right now. It's projected to nearly miss us, but it's at least a pretty cool concept to build a game on. Very cool concept, not just yeah, pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, science so, fiction based on science fact. Yeah, let's prey on people's fears. <laughs> Save us, Bruce Willis. <laughs> wow. so many of the survivors that are in the game world came from a place called you know arcs little space pods they set up specifically designed to protect themselves from the asteroid impact and that's what your character comes from he is the only surviving member of his arc and he steps out into this new you know wasteland world it really is this blend at least thematically of stuff from like Fallout and Borderlands. And obviously those comparisons need to be made because it's there, but they do take their own twist on it. I mean, yeah, you have the, the traditional, you have your mutants, you have your backwater settlers, you have, you know, your high tech uh, group of people who have taken charge in this game. They're called the authority. Uh, you have your resistance fighting the authority. So a, a lot of those parallels that we see in pretty much any post-apocalyptic game are here, but again, it's, it's id. So they, everything has just that little touch that sets it apart from everything that's come before. And it's really the first thing you notice here is the voice acting. Uh, I love the line they said uh, for the first character you meet in the game is called Dan Hagar. And he's kind of your guide throughout the early part of the game. And he's been living on the wasteland for years. And he's voiced by John Goodman who <laughs> I'm shocked hasn't done more voice acting for video games. Uh, I love the quote they gave said, if there was an actor from Hollywood that could survive an asteroid striking the earth, <laughs> it would be John Goodman. <laughs> they spend his time in hell with Roseanne. If he could survive that, he could survive an asteroid. Well, he kind of already did. So all of the characters are, if you thought the characters in Borderlands were kind of crazy, you, you got to see some of the ones they got going on in here. There's there's a character who's basically Mojo from the X-Men. Yes, I <laughs> Put, saw that. that was putting hysterical. on these crazy game shows well, and stuff. That was on the, the iPad Rage game. That's the one that I had reviewed before where they um, it was it was really it was on rails and you just kind of did the shooting. But it was a proof of concept that Carmack had done for the iPad to show what it could do. And it was absolutely phenomenal. It looked incredible. And yeah, that whole freaking mojo thing was just creepy as hell, but it fit into that world. Yeah. So all the characters have, have these really unique twists and you can really see the attention to detail they've put into the game. There's all the various, uh, tribes living out in the Westland, the clans that you're going to go up against as a player, how 
each clan has its own unique feel. You have, you know, the, 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 the small ones who are very athletically gifted and they've shown them they're crawling out of pipes. They're swinging through, you know, the, the environment. They, they're very like, agile. Right. Yeah. And when you're in a shooter game, having a bunch of enemies running directly towards you, that's, that's something a little interesting to take on. And a lot of shooters, you're used to other people just shooting back. Now, not only do you have these guys running at you, you have them, you know, doing flips and dodging bullets as they're coming at you. So it's pretty cool. Then you have others that are, you know, they're more technologically based, uh, a lot of traps and stuff you have to deal with. And of course, you have the authority, which you know, have their big powered armor and you better be ready to go up against them so the actual game world <laughs> i love that you have a picture of mojo That's great. <laughs> the actual game world itself seems like it's going to be very interesting to play in of course borrowing on that borderland style the vehicles are a big part of this game as you're making your way across the wasteland you know you have your buggy and it's not just you know there it's it, let's face it the vehicle play in borderlands was pretty Iffy. Minimal. I don't want to say it was bad, but no, it, it was, was bad like, at points. Yeah, it, it was I more tacked over shit. <laughs> it was more tacked on than actually being a part of the game. But this, you really see how they've developed the vehicle side of it as well as the shooter side of it. How there's you know actual missions associated with it. There are points in the game where you're chasing after a target. There are points in the game where you're the target and you just got to get the hell out of dodge. So. You have the vehicle aspect and, hey, it's a shooter. So if it's doing a shooter, they've got to do it right. And first well, of all, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, look at what they've done in the past, right? I mean, uh, you had Wolfenstein, which was, like you said, was one of the very first shooters and really helped, like, make that a solid organization, you know, a solid IP type. You know what I mean? Like, you could have shooters now because, well, we've already killed and stabbed Nazis with knives and everything else. And it did a fantastic job with it. And then you look at what it did with uh, with Quake. Quake was one of the first games to have uh, the client server architecture for multiplayer. Uh, you look at what they've done for first person shooters over the year and everything they've done has become the standard. And now you look at them going into this game and you just wonder what part of this game is going to be new and just become the new standard. Like, And that's what I'm really looking forward to because it really doesn't make bad games. They just... They make things that tend to be, uh, for lack of a better term, iconic video games. And that's what Rage looks like it could very easily become a very iconic video game. Well, you, you can see that in you know their shooting gameplay, how they're taking the current standards and basically just curb stomping it into oblivion. Mm -hmm. For the first and foremost, you can have more than two weapons at a time in this game, which mm -hmm. is something that is almost unheard of in this day and age. I, I, in recent memory, Borderlands is the only other game I can really think of that gave you more than two weapons at a time. So you have, yes, two weapons, but you have that crazy id two weapons you know you don't just have your assault rifle and your shotgun no you have you know your crossbow your, your rocket launchers and they have the it has crossbow, that duct tape on the rocket launcher <laughs> i'm assuming there's a bfg in here somewhere there has to be there has if there's not a bfg in this game i will be disappointed in it <laughs> And it has kind of that Bioshock element of various ammo types for the weapons. As they showed off on the crossbow, you can have your regular crossbow bolt. You can have your electric. You can have your electrical bolt because as a lot of places in this game are taking place underground where water is settling. 
electrical crossbow bolts are going to come in handy. They showed, you know, dynamite crossbow bolts and the absolute best one, mind control crossbow bolts. Yes. <laughs> I, or, you know, just things like uh, explosive ammo. Like Each gun has multiple ammo types that you can go around and collect. And from what I've seen, there's crap tons of ammo everywhere. So this isn't, you know, go through a few empty corridors, shoot a couple guys, go through a couple more corridors. It is nonstop balls to the wall action from beginning to end, which, again, is not something you see much of these days just because of the way games have been designed. It is going wait, wait, wait. Okay, you guys have had your fun the last few years, but we're the ones that know how to do this. Yeah, (laughs) step aside, let us do our our jobs. But they're evolving, you know, your typical id gameplay to more modern tastes with additional weapons. The one thing that they show off multiple times throughout the trailers is the wing stick, you know, your little boomerang knife weapon, which is just cool as crap. It shows, you know, pop a couple bullets into a guy, stagger him, and then chop off his head with your freaking bladed boomerang. I mean, that's awesome. There's (laughs) our segue into Link, into Legend of Zelda. (laughs) The boomerang. No, what I'm really looking forward to with this is that um, more so than just they know shooters, more so than they know weapons and, and, and they know action and all that is for me, they know atmosphere. When you're playing Doom 3, the atmosphere in there is so it's so gripping. It, it is so well done that it, you know, at points, the hair goes up on your arms. And that's what I'm getting here, that the the whole atmosphere of that world, the way that they've created it and, and different zones of it and whatnot are going to be that well done. That to me is very cool. Yeah, everything in this game is just designed to as close to perfection as they can get it. And that's what really has me excited. There is absolutely nothing I look at in this game and even go, okay. Every single thing I look at is, wow, amazing, awesome. Can't wait to get my hands on it. And with all the the modern shooters that we have right now, like in at around the same time Rage is coming out, we're going to get Modern Warfare 3 and Battlefield 3. And I really enjoyed the first two Modern Warfare games, as we've discussed on previous shows. I couldn't care less about Modern Warfare 3. First of all, because all of the you know shenanigans surrounding Activision and Infinity Ward. But second of all, I'm just sick of modern shooters. I want an old school you know, pure action, complete insanity shooter, which we got a lot of with Borderlands, but Rage is just really hitting that happy spot for me, and I can't wait. And it comes out on October 4th, which is in that nice little spot right in between Deus Ex and Skyrim. Skyrim. (laughs) (laughs) Which gives you enough time to play the game before losing your soul to Skyrim. (laughs) And hopefully Skyrim will be done by the time of Reckoning, but that's another story. Um, they, They have said that, you know, you still see that EAism to the game, though. Uh, they're foregoing the, I don't want to say standard, but by today's standards, it is uh, of the online pass system where you buy the game new, you get the whole game. You buy the game used, you got to pay 10 bucks for the online components. And they come out and say, like, no, you buy the game, no matter where you buy it from, you're getting the whole game. You know, they're not locking gameplay elements away for people who buy it pre-owned. But they are Which locking is, stuff away. 
Yeah. They, they, they said the uh, the sewers in the game are going to be, you know, their version of the online pass. You buy it new, you get them, you buy it pre-owned, it costs 10 bucks. And how their, their optional, like, areas to explore. Like they said, some people are going to play through the game and not even know they were there. Like, they're, they're, it's hidden stuff you would actually have to go look for. And, I mean, it's a different way of rationalizing the online pass system and Again, it's one of those things that conceptually I don't have that big of a deal with. I do believe the people who made the game should get at least a couple of bucks on a pre-owned sale. So I'm not completely against it. And you just see that business side of it and how this this game originally started off as an EA game. And it has that 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 touch to it where it's it's kind of infected. <laughs> that's that's what a lot of gamers are going to look at this as. And I don't really have he's yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with it. I'm going to buy the game new anyway so i don't care but it it is something that a few people i'm sure are going to bitch and moan about see i don't agree with the the extra tax or whatever you want to call it on the used games i don't i don't buy that because they've already gotten their money from the first person who bought it whoever buys it after that they've already gotten they're not losing a sale or or whatever it's already been that person already the, the original one already paid for it so i and if it's if it has online component then the first person who's no longer playing it is just replaced by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're taxing the system even more with, oh, now there's going to be another person playing it. No, the other one isn't anymore. So this is just somebody replacing them. So I'm not, I don't buy that. So, I mean, it's not something that I'd make a big deal about, but I, I don't, I don't agree. There, there are better ways to handle it, like uh, the Cerberus network in Mass Effect 2. I thought that was a very effective way of handling it. If you bought the game new, you got a bunch of free extra stuff. And if you wanted that free extra stuff, you know, it was 10 bucks if you bought it pre-owned. I thought that was a better way of going about it than, you know, your Madden type games and even how Rage is handling it. And it's it's just the way the industry is. It's one of those things that we kind of have to accept as gaming goes on. Well, we don't have any choice, but it's it's I don't think that it's something that should be going is the point that I'm making. It's just being greedy. It's I mean, we discussed that on the last comics podcast where companies will try to be greedier when they feel they need the money because there's their sales are dropping or whatever. And I think that there are better ways to go about it than something like this. And I certainly don't want to open this up for discussion too much because I mean, we were talking about rage. We're not talking exactly. Actually with that, we're actually going to take a break here. We're due for a little break and we're going to move on to some other topics after, but yeah, rage is definitely a game that is on all of our radars. I don't know that I'm going to buy it day one, but it is something that I'm, I'm, definitely looking forward to picking up and playing and it's coming out on when again october 4th yeah hmm that's soon <laughs> that's true <laughs> maybe between that and deus ex we'll, we'll hey, flip happy of a coin. it got pushed back yeah seriously <laughs> yeah it was coming out in uh, september originally so all right so with that we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with a lot more news Catherine, the latest game from Atlas, is a wonderfully messed up love story. When I first heard about Catherine, with its quirky characters and absolutely insane nightmare sequences, I was instantly drawn to it. I was a bit unsure until I actually managed to get my hands on the demo, which sold me on the game for good. 
Catherine came out a couple weeks ago on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3. With the developer Atlas focusing on a lot of handheld games, as well as even supporting the PlayStation 2 well into its life cycle, this is the first game they've put out for the current generation of consoles, and is developed by the same team responsible for the highly successful Persona games. The game focuses on Vincent, a 32-year-old man who has just become accustomed to his way of life. He's been with his current girlfriend, Catherine, for about five years now, and things have never really progressed beyond the opening stages of their relationship. Catherine has been very busy with her professional life, and Vincent, well, Vincent likes just being laid back and lazy about things. However, as time passes, Catherine begins to wonder if maybe they should take their relationship to the next level. Vincent's fear of commitment instantly kicks in, and he starts having these bizarre nightmares. In these nightmares, he finds himself in this bizarre dungeon populated by a bunch of sheep and must climb a tower every night or die. At the same time, reports are circulating in the news of men that have been dying mysteriously in their sleep. And the common thread tying these men together is that they have been unfaithful in their relationships. This causes Vincent a great deal of worry because he doesn't want to be unfaithful to Catherine. He doesn't know exactly what he wants out of the relationship overall, but he knows he does want to be true to her. So of course, enter other Catherine. This new Catherine is a young girl in her 20s who essentially throws herself at Vincent. Long nights and heavy drinking eventually lead to Vincent waking up in bed next to the younger Catherine and completely freaking out. This is where the story becomes so charming, just seeing Vincent's reactions to all the insane circumstances he finds himself in. He never really asked for any of this, but now he finds himself caught between these two women. So as the game goes on, not only must Vincent continue climbing that tower in his nightmares, but he does have to figure out what he wants in life and choose between the two women. The game is split up into these two different segments, the nightmares, which play out as a puzzle game, and the daytime, which really is more of a dating sim type game. Events play out through cinematics without the player really having much interaction in what exactly happens. However, the player does have control over how Vincent reacts to these situations. At various points throughout the game, Vincent will receive text messages from either of the Catherines and can respond to them. Now, this isn't like your typical Mass Effect or Dragon Age type conversations where you just pick one statement and go with it. Instead, you get to craft your reply line by line. Each line gives you several different options, and you can choose to phrase the text message however you want. You can be supportive, you can be combative, you can be secretive. It will all affect Vincent's relationship with the two Catherines. So, as the cinematics are playing out, Every once in a while, the little meter that's keeping track of who you're leaning towards will pop up, and Vincent will react to the situation appropriately depending on which woman he is preferring. Now, this isn't a large-scale, choice-driven game like the previously mentioned Mass Effect or Dragon Age. The story is going to play out the same way regardless of what choices you make. Yes, Vincent's reactions will change bits here and there, but really the only big effect your decisions have on the game is on the ending. There are nine possible endings to the game, with Vincent ending up in various relationships with one of the two women, or even becoming single and progressing on his own. 
So while your choices may not mean that much throughout the game, they do mean quite a bit come the end. The game plays out through a combination of full animated sequences as well as in-game engine cutscenes. One of the major problems some people have with this game is that all of the language is in English. There is no Japanese voice track available, which is fairly common for this type of game coming out of Japan. However, Atlas has said that they actually reanimated a lot of the scenes to sync up better with the English voice acting. So if they had added the Japanese track in, it just wouldn't work quite right. And honestly, the English voice acting in the game is great anyway. You're not missing anything by not having that Japanese voice track available. All the characters are fun. There's Vincent with his absolute meltdowns he seems to have on a daily basis with his bizarre situation. There's the elder Catherine who seems so sure of herself, and the younger Catherine who is just full of life and energy. Beyond that, there's a supporting cast of Vincent's friends and the various patrons of the bar they like to hang out at, the Stray Sheep. The Stray Sheep is actually fairly important to the overall game. This is where you'll send and receive the various text messages I spoke about previously, as well as just interact with a lot of the characters in the game. Many of the characters you meet in the Stray Sheep bar will show up in the Sheep Nightmares later on, and Vincent can actually try to help them with their problems and save their lives. There's also a cool arcade game that you can play inside the Stray Sheep called Rapunzel. Rapunzel is actually a very simplified version of the puzzles you'll face in the nightmare sequences. So it allows you to get some extra training in to prepare you for when the game really is trying to kill you. As for those nightmares, the puzzles are very satisfying. Basically, Vincent must climb up a giant tower of blocks that is steadily crumbling beneath him in an attempt to reach the safety at the top. Now, this isn't just simply climbing up. You must maneuver the blocks to actually create a path for yourself. At first, it's very simple, just making stairways and whatnot, but at each level of the game, they added more and more twists. Everything from exploding blocks to ice blocks, which will cause you to go sliding off the edge, as well as traps and even enemies you're going to have to deal with along the way. At the end of each level, you're treated to a boss sequence, where a creature straight out of Vincent's subconscious will chase him up the tower trying to kill him. These bosses range from demonic babies to my personal favorite, the ass monster, and are each absolutely disturbing. Moreover, they are very difficult. There is very little margin for error when these bosses are chasing behind you, as opposed to the regular levels. And honestly, the difficulty is there throughout the entire game. I played through it on normal mode, and there were several points where I considered dropping it down to easy. I even know people who have played through it on easy mode and had trouble. And interestingly enough, this game is far easier than when it originally came out in Japan. After the game's initial release overseas, they actually had to release a patch for it to lower the difficulty. So for as mind-bending as some of these puzzles are now, I can only imagine what they were like before the difficulty patch. And beyond the typical daytime-nighttime story sequences, Catherine also offers a couple of extra game modes. There is the Babel mode, which is actually an even more difficult version of the nightmare puzzles that you'll unlock as you gain gold medals throughout the game. These puzzles even feature an online leaderboard. And additionally, there is the Colosseum mode, which is a two-player head-to-head climb to the top. So there's definitely a lot to work with from the puzzle elements of this game. So between all that 
and the story, which does offer its multiple endings, and does warrant multiple playthroughs because of that, there's a lot of game here for your dollar. A single playthrough of the story mode takes around 12 hours or so, with future playthroughs taking a bit less time as your skills improve, but even still, that's a solid amount of game for the price. Catherine is very hard to really describe to people who haven't seen it, but it takes a fun story with great characters, ridiculous twists and turns, absolute insanity, and mixes it with a very solid puzzle game. Now, of course, that combination is not going to be right for everybody, but for me and for many others out there, this can be a very enjoyable game. You gonna bring us back in, Roger, or should well, I? Well, duh, yeah. Give me a second. <laughs> Jesus, dude. Jesus. <laughs> it's not like you have to hurry to a raid tonight. I'm not worried about hurrying. I'm just eager. All right, fine then. And we are back. We've got a lot of information still to go. A variety of games, actually. There's no way to segue between them either, so I'm not even going to try. And most of this is actually stuff that interested Joe. Well, not necessarily all interested some of it i made him read <laughs> like the star <laughs> trek online stuff just because they are putting through a lot of additions and i thought that it'd be worth still talking about in case there is anybody that is still playing the game so what did you find out well uh there's actually quite a bit that they're still trying to add into the game uh besides the fact that cryptic is hiring for their sto team which is also something i learned by reading this um there yeah that was a, yeah which is kind of weird but they, they were bought out they were. Yeah, so what, a whole bunch of people jumped ship or, or were let go because they were being bought out, and now all of a sudden it's a rehire? I Yeah. What would make, give you any confidence in them as an None employer that you would want to work for them? None at all. And this is why, even though I want to get into this industry very badly, I'm not applying. Anyway, so getting back to what is going to be added into Star Trek Online, um, there's going to be a lot more having to do with the Borg itself. There is going to be a series of space invasions um, throughout the sectors, um, which will then eventually culminate into a repeatable event of a Borg ground invasion. Um, so that's going to be kind of cool. You're going to see different events pop up as you're traveling between uh, systems and planets where Borg are attacking, Borg will be attacking vessels or, you know, it's going to be like these massive universe events. Yeah, but isn't um, that essentially the same thing as what's happening now, except with the whatchamacallit dudes with the weird foreheads? The Klingons. Yeah. Klingons. Um, so yeah, it's so the same thing. Which we call it. Klingons are going to be replaced by Borg. Um, there's also just Borg be... Klingons using the same character models and they put a freaking implant on his forehead. <laughs> wow. There's also going to be a new update that has a new group finder tool as well as a new loot. Um, there's going to be a new event calendar and daily event schedule, um, which is something that if you've played WoW, you already know so what it looks like. So basically they're they're adding dailies is what it boils yeah, down to. dailies. Um, there's going to be new lore quests. Now, they've been skirting around this one. Now, there's a 5,000-word blog post here, right? And they kind of skirted around what the actual lore was going to be. So we have no clue what we're actually going to have in there besides something that has to do with Borg and something that has to do with the world of Star Trek. Good job there, boys. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a, a Klingon Academy zone, which is going to be like Starfleet Academy, uh, but for Klingons. 
<laughs> which is, you know, Klingons yeah. don't go to school. <laughs> you don't know I, that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they do. If I learned, where did they learn to count? By Christopher Lloyd, who decided to play a Klingon once. He taught them all. Okay, it's kind of like Chuck Norris, but for Klingons. Um, there's going to be episodic progression updates. Scary uh, moment. Yeah. There. They're re-leveling almost all the episodes, plus they're adding a new mission journal UI, which is going to look very similar to the, you know, raid journal. Um, there's also going to be duty duty officer uh, system and assignments overhaul. Um, and there's going to be a feature episode uh, for series four, basically the next line of episodic content, which is going to start sometime in October. Um, they say that it isn't a complete list, but every time somebody asks them for a little more information in regards to anything, they're being incredibly noncommittal. Um, for 5,000 words in their ask cryptic, I, I mean, it literally is, you can tell that they're as clueless what they're doing with this game as everybody else is playing it. Um, so I don't know. They're, they're talking about creating money sinks and if they're going to do that. And they say, yes, we're going to do that. And then that's it. Um, they talk about, is the crafting system going to get an overhaul? What can we expect to see? Yes, it's going to get an overhaul. Nothing more. Um, I was a little disappointed because I love Star Trek. I really do. I'm one of those weird nerds that lives both in Star Wars and Star Trek universes. Like, I would be a halfer beyond or where half my body is dressed up like Star Trek and the other half is Star Wars. Sure, I would be that guy. But I'm not really getting anything in here. You like, know, we're you mean Slave Leia. That's only the bottom half. Uh, <laughs> but there's really, but there's really not much going on here. There's going to be a couple new, um, you know, maybe ship types that they're going to introduce. A couple more different officer types, um, and that's going to be it. I See, mean, to me, it sounds basically like they added dailies, which is did. just another way of trying to keep the people who are playing the game. Force the them to keep coming back to play it every day, but not have to actually add a, a lot of content, just enough to force them to keep coming back every day, which is not difficult to do, as we've seen with WoW. So basically, they've added WoW, or, or sorry, dailies, and then they've basically added the same functions that the current, that the Klingons have with the attacks the and whatnot, but now it's going to be the Borg. So they, they, it doesn't sound like they added a lot to it. They're I mean, just, little fine-tuning like UI and things like that is all well and good. The, the game definitely needs it, but it 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 doesn't sound like enough of of. I don't want to say overhaul, but maybe that is the appropriate word of what they're it not needs. Injecting, they're not injecting enough into the game to to even interest me in starting up again. And I have a press account. <laughs> It's a lot of trouble to update it, you know. You know what, dude? <laughs> to load into the game and fly my ship and pff, screw that noise. I actually, when I got the new laptop, I actually loaded it up because I've got it through uh, Steam. So I thought, well, screw it. Here you go. And I just set it to, uh, to to go and download. So it's all there and it's up to date. And I actually even bounced in to make sure that the everything with the press account is still going. And yeah, boom, it's working and, and whatnot. And it was like but I don't feel like playing. I don't, <laughs> there, there yep, hasn't it's been, a game. there hasn't been enough that's been put in that, that I would want to play, which is really, really so disappointing because there was so much about it that I was looking forward to that I wanted to play and initially enjoyed until I saw that what I enjoyed at the beginning was basically all there is and it's all the same. Now, so to, to put that in perspective, as Hoogs has said, Terraria 1.0.6 update had more in it than this update did. 
yeah terraria dude my son is like playing terraria all the freaking time keeps telling me all the shit that he's been doing and he's having a blast (laughs) and i'm like yeah i got star trek loaded i haven't played it Okay, so moving away from there now. So there, anybody who's still playing who wanted to know, now you know. Uh, What else did we get? We got actually the gameplay preview for Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Now, that's something that when we talked about it um, with the latest E3, we were kind of... I mean, the the, the display for, for Zelda was awesome, but the actual information in regards to skyward sword was there was nothing and so what did you find out from here quite a bit actually uh the gameplay video uh, the gameplay preview um actually gives you a bunch of in-game footage showing off the world combat and villains um and shows you how the player is going to interact with it one of the cool things i think about it is that we motion plus is integrated into the sword movements and all of the secondary weapons as well. Um, one of the things that we talked about before was, uh, very briefly, was that Wii Motion Plus has so far only had support in fishing in Twilight Princess. But now they're actually working into sword movements, blocking, uh, using the hook, the the everything like that, throwing the, the boomerang. It's all going to be very reactive. They've been really trying to push a one-to-one translation between players and Link's movements. Um, that's really important because if they want want to make this game uh, sort of competitive with the new ones, they have to have that sort of response time. Um, the more important thing, though, not just as the gameplay, visu- the gameplay visuals are amazing, especially for a Wii title, um, as well as the controls going to be very tight and very responsive. The story of the gameplay or of the game itself is revealed a lot more in this preview. And that's where I really, they, they had me at hello on this one. Um, the story takes place with Link starting in a floating city. Um, to the, the members of the city, there is nothing below them, just sky. So pretty much they are a floating island, nothing else exists. That is until Princess Zelda falls. And adventure begins with Link attempting to find and save her. The story, though, is not just important for that. For diehard Zelda fans, do you remember the one item that we've been questing for ever since the 80s? The Master Sword. This game directly ties in with the very first Zelda games and tells the story of the creation of the original Master Sword. That in and of itself is absolutely awesome. The game will also be a prequel to the events of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. It is one of the very few times Mm. which they have a direct link between Zelda games. That is why this is awesome and I have to play it as a result. Yeah, but see, this is going to force us to play Ocarina of Time again before we play this. Play play it on a 3DS. You played after because this is the setup. This is the prequel. Yeah, I know, but still, okay. Mm-hmm. I, for for years now, Shigeru Miyamoto has sworn that every single game in the Zelda franchise is all part of the same timeline. And if you want some absolute hilarity, go Google it and tr- see oh, people yeah, trying to actually make place. sense out of this <laughs> timeline. <laughs> so I, it, it's cool that yeah, while it's been said that everything was connected this is the first time we've been shown that something is connected. So it, it is really cool from a lore standpoint, but I, I still don't care. You don't care at all. Really? I, the gameplay is just completely uninteresting to me. Why? I, I, we've gone over multiple times. I am not a big fan of motion control in games and 
it just seems like this game was designed as again this is my perception designed as a tech demo for the motion controls with zelda added on around it instead of the other way around that's just how it feels to me really yeah hmm see i'm actually seeing it more as it's it's making use of what's there but i think that when we saw the demos at both last year's e3 as well not this at all but last year's e3 i think that they tried to bombard us with how the controls (laughs) poorly (laughs) worked but it was just to show that they were making good use of it i don't think that the story and everything else was by any means put there so that you could appreciate the breadth of the what the game is going to be it was just here here's how we're making use of all of the the motion controls so and i think that if you now shut up until i'm done what's, what's Freaking sorry, interrupting oh great now your volume is going wonky no i'm just talking funny no it's your volumes going uh, crazy oh damn it now it's going really bad so actually, <laughs> I'm going to finish my point and then I'm hanging up on you and calling you back. (laughs) (laughs) My point was just that I think that now that they've established that it's going to be making good use of the technology, that I think that what that's going to mean is that they can now proceed with actually telling us more about the story so that we get sucked into the Zelda story. Because if you're a Zelda fan, you're a Zelda fan. And if they can give you a good story on top of that, especially one that ties into the best game of all time, then you're going to want to play this game. Okay, I'm hanging up into on. Xenogears. Uh, you're de- I'm hang- I hung up on him. <laughs> we'll be right back, folks. I don't care. I got to make my point. Yep. <laughs> he had no choice. He had to listen Zeno up. up. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get that point in there before he hung up on me. Damn it! <laughs> the audience heard it Can too. It-, it was really getting louder and louder. So. It's basically whenever you start to be an idiot, I notice that the, the sound goes ballistic. I, so I can't explain been ballistic it. for the last hour yeah, and a half. I, I don't know what it is. It has nothing to do with me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so may I continue with my point? Uh, do you have to? I, I would like to at least. You, you would know. like to. All right. If, if it's okay. If you have to. Yeah, well, we should ask the audience. Do you guys give a rat's ass about Vince's point? (laughs) (laughs) All right, go ahead. I I am fully willing to admit that a lot of my perception of this game has to do with the marketing. Because every convention they've been at, every time they've shown off the game, it's always been about the controls and the weapons and the ways things are. Son of a bitch. Stop talking. Ow, 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 ow. Down. Hello. Notice this whenever you talked. (laughs) You start to talk and Skype decides, nope, we don't need to hear any more of his bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, if everything was okay on your end, I wasn't going to say anything, so. Yeah, see, it's doing it again. Okay, I'm calling Joe first. 
Because I want to see whether or not this shit is going to happen when I'm talking to him. Or if it's Vince. Hello! Okay, let's just hold on one second there. Hold in. And just so that we can see whether or not anything goes ballistic. Because it apparently goes ballistic whenever Vince starts to talk. Seriously, you know, when it's once, you kind of laugh. When it's twice, it's like, haha, let's make fun of Vince because it's doing that. When it's the third time you when Vince talks, yeah. there's the, there's, Skype does not like Vince. Now, I'm not saying I blame Skype. It's not like Skype was my favorite person beforehand. Of course, this kind of makes me respect them a little bit more. But still, it's uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like it's just Vince. Vince opens his mouth and bzzz, which the is this Skype equivalent of saying "shut the fuck up"? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I was laughing hysterically. And Vince is emailing me? No, okay. <laughs> Let me back on the show. I want to talk about Zelda. I have things to say. We are still not getting the buzz. That's not, no, white noise is a soft noise in the background that you hear that's a constant. It's <laughs> not a soft white noise. <laughs> this is me this is my my best impression of vince so i disagree with what you <laughs> I, think he, I think he was doing it on purpose honestly he was holding his fan right up to the mic <laughs> roger you're an ass <laughs> We don't, we still don't have a buzz. Vince, it's you. He's, he's probably gone. <laughs> it's like, screw you guys. You're not my friends anymore. I'm afraid to bring him in. I really am. He's just not going to say anything. <laughs> if I don't say anything, it won't buzz. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> What, like it's our fault? <laughs> it is your fault. You're blaming it on me. Okay, we yeah, but blame it on you. we were doing fine up until now. Let's just wait and see. Okay, if you got a point to make about Zelda, I would suggest getting it in, like, fast. Oh, don't you sigh at me. I'm freaking... <laughs> oh, sorry, guys, I got to hang up. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting here talking. Apparently, that's bad enough. Skype agrees with us. <laughs> Go ahead. What's your Zelda point? Do you All even right. remember it? I, <laughs> it's burned, etched in your memory now. I, I have to get that point waiting. down. <laughs> what, on I'm... the toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's where you podcast from. Go ahead. Way too much echo. I'm willing to admit that my perception of Skyward Sword does have a lot to do with the way it's been marketed. At every show they've been at, uh, E3s, etc., it's always been built around the controls and the items and how how everything controls. It's always been control, control, you know, one to one, Wii Motion Plus, swinging your sword, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yes, I, I, it, there's. I'm willing to say that yes, there is more to this game than just you know the glorified tech demo. But if all you're showing off is the technical side of it, that's all I'm going to see. 
Okay, but how's this for a counter, just to play the, the devil's advocate here? Is it not fair to say that they basically have to do that when you look at all the other big boys at the E3 are your Microsoft and your Sony are doing the same thing except with the connect and the move or the connect and, and the move slash 3D. Those. But so my point is just that the demos that we're seeing from everybody is about how you interact with it versus some form of move control. So it's not that this is doing it any differently than they've done. Hell, that's what they were talking about with Mass Effect 3, and we're dying for that game. And that's how they were doing it with a lot of games, that it's just about how it's going to interact with the movement control for that console. So this is no different than any of that. No, it, it isn't, and I don't care about any of that. So. Yeah, but you care about some of the other games that they demoed that they made a huge deal about how it's going to control, but you don't care about the controls. You just care about the game. And but so, the, the, the voice control wasn't the only thing they were showing for Mass Effect. Yeah, no. The, the motion control yeah, but they didn't is show the only thing much. they've shown for Skyward Sword. Yeah, but they did not show that much for Mass Effect 3, buddy. They did not show that much at all. It was, I mean, a few little things, but it was not a lot at all. I'm not saying they made a huge deal about the Connect integration, but they certainly didn't make a big deal about everything else either. So I, I, part of me is playing devil's advocate here, but part of me actually believes it because from what we've seen with Zelda, I feel that they... I feel they felt they had to make a big deal about the motion control because that's what everybody else is doing and not spend enough time concentrating on the story, which is what we all care about when it's a Zelda story. And, and well, like I've said, I, I am not representative of gamer culture in general. For me personally, they haven't done anything to interest me. Well, and, and, and I can understand that. And I understand where you're coming from because it has been really marketed from the the technical aspect. And I can kind of get that. But at the end of the day, for me, I could give a shit about the motion controls. What I really cared about was the story and the fact that I'm getting a tie into my favorite Zelda story, um, my favorite Zelda game. Well, not just uh, yours. Yeah, but I'm just Jesus. saying like. The I'll, vast majority I'll of Zelda fans. Oh, well, not just them. It, it, it's it's like by a lot of people thought of as the best game ever. So it's not just Zelda fans that are going to have a an emotional tie to that game. It's going to be everybody. So the fact that this ties into that, to me, is huge absolutely huge that is a reason to buy this game i don't care about the motion controller i don't seriously dudes i don't even have a wii plus we didn't buy a game that needed it so i never well, got the it controllers so, now are built in with it too that's kind of important yeah but the ones i've still got the legacy ones the old ones yeah. but it, not, that's neither here nor there the fact remains that I am now interested in this game. Whereas before, I will agree with Vince, when all they cared about was showing us the, the rinky-dink kind of how it's going to work and not work, I really didn't care that much. <laughs> but now that we're actually being told more of what the story will entail, myself being a, billi a, a big you know, Zelda fan, this really, really interests me a lot. Okay, let's move away from that. Finally, <laughs> for those of you who are listening to the edited version, you'll have to listen to the outtakes to know why I'm saying finally. So we're actually going to touch on a couple of other little things here and there. Actually, Joe, you wanted to talk about Gotham City imposters. 
Yeah, a little bit because it's kind of a cool concept. Um, basically, it is a Batman and Joker game um, where everybody is playing a different version of Batman, basically an imposter, male, female, whatever. Uh, and, and you're one team and the other team is all different versions of the Joker. So basically, it's a bunch of Batman versus a bunch of a bunch of Jokers in team style PVP first person combat. Um, it's kind of interesting to me because you can completely customize your Batman or your Joker and just go to town. And I'm a big fan of like Team Fortress and stuff like that. And this has that sort of comedy feature. Uh, one of the things in the gameplay you saw was a Joker throwing out a bear trap and a Batman jumping down on top of it and then, you know, bouncing all around because his leg just got chopped off by a freaking goddamn, you know, bear trap. It's just kind of a cool, fun game. Uh, it's going to be available on PSN and uh, Xbox Live. Uh, and it's going to have the traditional like team combat. It's also going to have uh, a new PVP style capture the flag game called Psychological Warfare, which involves the two teams attempting to bring a single battery back to their base and defend it at the base long enough to allow a machine to brainwash the other team. Uh, it's got enough flares and extra features and customizability uh, to make it a standalone Batman title that's going to be potentially a lot of fun. It just looks like a super fun shooter. Okay. Who the hell thought of this? <laughs> I don't know. It, what, what was the production meeting of somebody sitting down and go, okay, you know what would be great for a Batman game? Guns. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it does. It's not it, just guns. You get like batarangs <laughs> and like, you know, smoke bombs and like whoopee cushion bombs. No, it, it, it looks cool awesome. as crap. I, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I'll stick with my Team Fortress 2. Speaking of which, did you guys see the Team Fortress 2 video that yes, was just up? Freaking up. Okay, the, the Coke notwithstanding, it was an awesome freaking video. <laughs> Could have done without the Coke, but the effect of the Coke was pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I'll put it in the show notes for anybody. It just this can become a running gag. <laughs> Team Fortress 2 videos. <laughs> okay, some of the other games that you were interested in, there was a couple of indie games. So there was also Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. What the hell is that? Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet is probably one of my most looked for games of the entire year. Looked um, for? I well, looked for, sought after, anticipated. I want this fucking game now in my hands. Please, thank you very much. Um, the first time I saw this game was at PAX East 2011. Uh, the game is as much of an artistic endeavor as it is, uh, it do not sound really cheesy or anything, but an insanely awesome game. Uh, it's an action-adventure puzzler with an amazing art style and a killer soundtrack. The basic gist of the game is that the sun of the solar system becomes infected by an evil spore. The infection then spreads to the surrounding planets in the entire solar system, including the planet on which the main character is stationed. Having observed the events of the infection, the player character then launches their spacecraft in an attempt to investigate what happens and solve the problem. Uh, the 2D action-adventure puzzle game pits players against the environment in many different forms. This means ice planets, underwater environments, constant barrages of local wildlife and alien animal forms that have been corrupted by this sort of evil spore. And every tool the player has can be used for multiple different ways. Tractor beams, grappler claws, sonic disruptors uh, can be all used in different and new interesting ways to navigate through each planet uh, players are rewarded for their ingenuity and for figuring out new ways to get through the each environment uh, and it's just a really awesomely fun game to play uh, when I was at PAX, I got to meet with um, the creators of the game uh, Michelle and Joe um, they said that 
it was more than just wanting to create a game. Uh, Michelle is the previous cartoonist of uh, the insanely twisted puppet show that used to air on MTV years ago. That same sort of art style is in this game done in such a way that he really poured his heart and soul into it. Like he actually received no money so far for this game uh, and just really just wanted to make it. And his main goal for making this, he heard a quote from our good friend Roger Ebert in which he said that video games are not art. So Michelle said, the hell it ain't, and decided to make a artistic, amazing game. Um, the visuals are stunning. The gameplay is tight. The controls are amazing. Um, it's going to be an amazing indie game to play. And it is going to be available on Xbox Live. Um, it has an amazing soundtrack that is subtle yet driving. Um, it fits each world perfectly. The audio engineering was actually done by his son, uh, by Michelle's <laughs> son. And it, it's just, it's a fantastic small development game, but with such big hopes. Um, I cannot endorse this game heavily enough if you have an xbox you are on xbox live you like indie games you like puzzler games and you like that sense of adventure literally i must have spent an hour at pax uninterrupted because they didn't want to bother me because i was like a kid drooling with excitement playing you this bit game the first guy that walked up to you i, I think i did <laughs> actually um but it was just absolutely amazing ass. and being able to talk with the people that made the game just did nothing but solidify <laughs> the fact that i love this game <laughs> Okay, actually, you had, I didn't. Me at Metroid. <laughs> you had me at ass. I, it is a game that I'll have to check out for sure. Actually, who's the saying that it's already on XBLA yeah, right it now? Came out today, I think maybe. I think awesome. it was. I thought it was last week, but yeah, was it last week? Okay. I don't know. I, I I've been busy trying to find an apartment, so it's been kind of <laughs> excuses are coming out now. But, yeah, uh, it is. I'm it like tonight. Right. Yeah, no, it is something that uh, I am interested in, in definitely trying out. Um, the, the other indie game that you were talking about is, well, was Owl Boy. What the hell is that? Now, that I haven't even heard of this. What is this? Okay. Uh, it's from D-Pad Studios. It's a 2D action adventure platformer. Uh, the best way that I can describe this game is a combination of Mega Man and old school RPG elements thrown into it. Um, it looks interesting. It could be a lot of fun. Essentially, you are Owl Boy. You are a boy with superpowers of an owl going on an adventure <laughs> trying what? to save the world. Uh, flying, sonic screeches, things like that. Killing um, rats? Spin it his just, head around 360 degrees. That'd be it, awesome. It looked, so, it looked so cheesy. And then I was reading it about it and watching the pl gameplay videos. And it was just awesome. Um, I don't know. It, look, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And it also has a very killer soundtrack, um, which reminded me sort of like um, the whole... Um, uh, which is called Watchmen soundtrack, but not quite because it's, you know, not exactly Night Owl. But no, it, it really looks like it could be a fun, cool game. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it looks interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll give it some more time when it's, you know, closer to release. So it, it, it's cool. I, I'm, okay, maybe I just need to see more about it. <laughs> Someone with the power of an owl. I'm depending depending on how and where it's released. I mean, it for a few bucks on Steam or something. I'd, it I'd check like it's it out. It's going to be Steam, Xbox, and PSN. Right. Okay. And for those, we mentioned it last week too, and it's worth mentioning today again that if you are interested in Bastion, it is out on Steam right now. You can get it. It actually was just released today. I got my copy yesterday and I was playing it and dude, it's solid. It 
freaking it it looks amazing you can set it to 1080p and apparently greg whom we were talking about uh, we're talking with before said there's some extra surprises in the pc version that aren't in the xbox version so i'm curious what those are but yes very very cool and last before we head out i'm not talking about the tracks for dead because what is it dead walking right yeah, Dead, Dead Island. Island. Dead Island, yeah. Because, yeah. frankly, people have been making a big deal about these three tracks for Dead Island. And you know what? Maybe I got spoiled by freaking Bastion recently <laughs> because yeah. the tracks for Bastion are awesome. You can pick them up. And I'm not saying that because we got to interview them. Um I'm actually going to be talking to Darren, the guy who was in charge of the music for uh, Bastion. I'm talking to him tomorrow. I'm going to be interviewing him. And... Like, that was phenomenal, but I was listening to these three tracks they made such a big deal about with Dead Island, and it was like, meh, I I can't really say much more than that. They made kind of a big deal about it, and I was very disappointed. I'm I'm interested in the game. Yeah. Big Mm -hmm. time interested in the game, but I don't care about the score. So, anyways, but you also put in the show notes. I'm assuming you care about this enough that you want to talk about it, about Freddy Krueger's DLC for Mortal Kombat. Not not in a positive way. Um, It's going to be in sort of a, why the hell are they still doing this way? Uh, The latest DLC for Mortal Kombat relaunch involves Freddy Krueger, the original Lord of the Nightmare. I'm really kind of confused by this because even though it fits the gameplay a little bit better than, say, like Link inside of Soul Calibur, um, Yoda, or Yoda, or Darth Vader... (laughs) Um, as much as I enjoy those games and as much as I think that they are kind of awesome, really Freddy Krueger, I mean, it just seems like they're starting to really stretch to try to make the game something people want to play. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think they, people want to play it. Just it Especially there. when they have such a vast cast of characters they can already call upon. I mean, there's, you know, dozens of other Mortal Kombat characters that I would be vastly more interested in than Freddy Krueger. But I I thought it was also interesting. Um, They actually also wanted to get Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, but they couldn't get the licensing. And with that, because we don't give a rat's ass, we are going to call it a night. (laughs) I would like to thank everybody who joined us in the audience. Thanks for coming out. We do appreciate it. Of course, you can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find me at Twitter, and it's, uh, of course, uh, ForTheLore. And also, we are all on G Plus right now, though. I don't know about you guys, but barely using it at the moment, but you can still find us on there. (laughs) And that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Make sure to join us next week, same time, same place, and we'll talk to you then. Well, I quit my job down at the car wash. What's going on? I can't hear you. Are you kidding me? Fuck, one sec. I can't. I don't lie. Test. What's up, guys? Hi, Alan. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Alrighty there. So Roger says he can't hear me. I can now. I couldn't with the music. Oh, fucking dumbass. Loud in my ears. God damn it. I did that on purpose. Don't make me do it again. Okay, deaf and gimpy. I don't want to listen to him. Deaf and (laughs) gimpy, my ass. Listen to Elvis. Um, dude makes us look like we are simpletons when it comes to like developing stories. His head is so into this game, it's not even funny. 
I'm not a simpleton. <laughs> I said looks like, not our jackass. Yeah, I'm pretty simple sometimes. Oh, Vince. <laughs> hey, it's 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 his episode. If I bomb, it's, I'm blaming it on him. It's it's not easy playing Star Trek or Star Star Wars all day long, huh? No, it's not. <laughs> really? Seriously, we're gonna go there? Oh, you poor deer. You poor poor deer. <laughs> I hey, feel for you. It's it, it. I have to make sacrifices for the greater good, so you guys can thank me later. I'm gonna put this in the outtakes they're gonna strip your access because of the nda <laughs> I, I all i said is i'm playing it that's all i've said yep he hasn't given any content about it i thought that you couldn't even say that there oh, is you couldn't before i am yeah bastard <laughs> the quote cr cry check fuck you and your fucking greater good <laughs> <laughs> I concur, Chris. But awesome. Speaking of which, there's a text from the girl. When you see somebody's fist go through somebody's head, not like kind of hit it or tore a chunk out, through the head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Screw your head, punch. Give so. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's youngins around. Let me down. Let me down. I have responsibilities. No, you don't. You don't. Being a beta tester is not a responsibility. It is. I, I have been chosen to, to a great calling, and oh, I really must perform it to the best bitch. of my abilities. There, there, there are literally, literally millions of people who are depending on me. I am going to make it my goal in life now. Help us, Obi Vince. You're the only one. Get you to leak something about the beta so that you get your ass kicked out of there. I will do it. I will do it. Screw you, buddy. I am convinced that there is something that could be deemed too juvenile for this show. But as wine tonight. And oodles of it. And apparently a noodle is a lot. <laughs> For those wondering, a noodle is a metric fuck ton, is what it is. <laughs> an uber noodle is even more. <laughs> you and your weird Canadian measurements, kilometers and first, oodles. First it was a yeah, metric system, and then it went to oodles. <laughs> okay, I kind of pee so bad. Oh! <laughs> All right. You don't want to drink Somebody too much. Somebody had a week at work, huh? <laughs> you may let a little loose there if you if you drink too much. I am sharp as a tack, so you don't want worry. To, you want to control that. Make sure that you don't let anything out. That could, any incriminating anything that could get you in trouble. <laughs> you're probably allowed to talk about what classes you're playing, though. Nope. You sure? I'm positive. You look, uh, you look at the NDA. It says, here is what you are allowed to talk about. There is a testing program for the game. You are part of the testing program. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but they don't know your name. They don't know who you are. I mean, you were a jackass and you posted the 
that you're I, part of a podcast. I, I, I was in the thinking forums. of it as a way of trying to, you know, drum up some some extra fans for the podcast. Yeah. Sorry, sorry for sorry for thinking of the team, you know. And, no, no, you know, no, no, no. Thinking of the team <laughs> would have been to think a little bit more deviously. And not tell anybody that you're no, in no, no, it, no. and then because be an inside source that gives us information about the show, the, the the game that we can talk about that nobody else knows. But that as part is of thinking my, about the podcast. As part of my application process, I put in the podcasts and whatnot because I thought that might have given here. me a slight edge. I didn't get anything back. <laughs> Jackass. That's all right. That's all right. That's all.